It's chapter 8. And for eight chapters, he's been doing that very thing. Preaching to us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw in the opening chapters, 1 through uh, chapter 3, verse 20, the universal and the uh, condemnation that's upon all of mankind because of sin. And uh, the great need there is for a gospel. And so he first laid that foundation for us. And, and those were, were some difficult sermons, if you remember. That, the, the, those were messages that talked about how bad we are. And we heard it every week, how bad we are. And, you know, if I, I almost had a, one more week of how bad we are. And then, then the glorious light of justification by faith just burst on the, scene, on the pages of Scripture in chapter 3, verse 21. And we've seen that how it is by the death, the sacrificial death of Christ, each one of us who put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith in Him alone, not only receive forgiveness, but we also receive the imputed righteousness of Christ forever. And that bright, glorious gospel of justification by faith came to us. And, and now we're in another section of, of Romans as Paul continues to, to preach to us the gospel. And in 5 through 8, we've been following the, his argument about, okay, yes, you have been saved. Yes, you have been justified. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but there's even more. And you've, you're being sanctified. And so you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is doing a work in all of us who are truly His. And He's progressively making us more and more and more into the image of Christ. And we're growing in His grace. In fact, uh, most of us, I believe, will probably die before we ever reach perfection here on earth, right? Uh, Maybe I better say all of us will probably die before we reach perfection. We'll be in the process of sanctification, never making it to the point where where we're going to be like Christ in this life, and then we're going to die. You know, I don't know how far we're going to be along in that progression of sanctification. And then the question is, what's next? The Bible says that we, uh, that day's going to come in each one of our lives where you're going to shut your eyes, and then all of a sudden you're going to open your eyes, and you're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ, and He'll be there face to face. To be absent from the body is to what? To be present with the Lord. And you're going to see the glorious face of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.8 it says, We are of good, be of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And that's going to be true for those of us who are in Christ. The soul will enter into what theologians sometimes call the intermediate state. Your, your soul will leave your body at that point. And your soul will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And somehow through the eyes of your soul, you'll be able to see and realize you're in the presence of Christ. And this disembodied soul will be in a realm of blessing. It'll be in a realm of joy. And, uh, and I don't know what this is going to be like. I'm just preaching the theology behind it. You know, it, We're going to talk about some sanctified imagination here in a minute. But just imagine your soul, your real you being disembodied when you die. Your, your, your body's going into the grave. And now your spirit now is in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you have consciousness. You have awareness. It's going to be joyful. But here's my question. Is that it? Has, has, have you reached the consummation of the gospel that Paul began to preach in Romans chapter 1?
Is that the final chapter of your salvation? Justified, sanctified, you die, and now you have gone to heaven in a disembodied spirit. Is that the end? And, I mean, are you going to be bouncing around from cloud to cloud and, and kind of this disembodied spirit and uh, enjoying heaven? Is that, what's, what, is that it? Forever and ever? Well, the best is yet to come. Salvation goes beyond dying and going to heaven. And Paul's going to go on with us. He says, the best is yet to come. Salvation goes beyond dying. There's one glorious thing still remaining. And that's what we're going to look at today in verse 11. See, the best is yet to come. final chapter of the gospel message has not been written and has not been brought to fruition. All who are justified, you are forgiven. You're being sanctified. And we're going to see later in Romans, you will be what? Glorified. And we're going to look at a little bit of what it means to be glorified today. And that's something that still lies ahead. And Paul describes it for us in verse 11. You see, Christ didn't die just to save your soul. Christ died on the cross for his elect to save your total being. Yes, your soul, but also your body. And your soul and your body together in one, in union. Salvation of your whole being. So as we look at this passage, I want you to get excited a little bit this morning. I want you, as we look ahead, down, down, down the corridor of time, where this is going in each one of our lives, some of us sooner, some of, some of you later, but it's, it's true of every one of us. Chapter 8 opened with the good news of there's no condemnation, and now he introduces the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Before you were saved, we saw you were what? In the flesh. You were in the realm of sin and doing fleshly things. And then through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were justified. Chapter 8 opens up with a whole change. The focus of chapter 8 is now the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, now that God has saved us. I don't know if you realize it or not, but in the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, there's only one reference to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 8 alone, there's nearly 20 references to the Holy Spirit just in that chapter alone. So you can see the major shift that's taken place. The last time we, we, we closed with Romans 8 9, where it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So if you're tr- truly saved, You're trusting in Christ. Your salvation goes beyond forgiveness. It goes into the realm of the work of the Spirit in your life, sanctification. And you're no longer in the realm or in the control of the flesh. You're now in the realm and the control of the Holy Spirit. You're under the dominion of God. That's a radical change. That's just not, oh, I'm forgiven now. I can go out and live the way I, I have always lived. There's a radical change that has taken place. And what that radical change includes is, is we're going to see a, a work of the work's godliness in our heart. The Spirit of God is empowering and He's in directing your life. And look what He says, the Spirit of God who dwells in you. Now, that, I don't know if you realize that or not, believers that are here today, do you realize 
that God indwells you. I mean, think about that. I mean, God indwells you. Uh, the uh, oikeo, it, 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 the, the word for house, it, it, it's like he set up a house residence inside of you. And it, it's a permanent residence. He's not a squatter that's coming in for a couple weeks and then he's, and then he's out. He's, he has taken up a dwelling in your life for all eternity. And God himself is in your heart. He's in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't out there somewhere. You don't have to chase down the Holy Spirit and look for His power. You don't have to go into some location or some church setting or some conference or some revivalistic meeting somewhere and think you're going to find the Spirit or catch the Spirit or bring the Spirit back with you when you come back home. You don't have to feel the Spirit of God. It's not some emotional experience that takes place in your life. He will stay there as God's seals, seal of ownership in the heart of every one of His believers. And every true Christian has God indwelling them in, 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 in an eternal way. In other words, here's evidence you're truly saved. See, I'm a Christian, right? Well, you have a God living in you. Well, I'm a Christian, right? Well, does the Holy Spirit indwell you? Have you noticed He's taken up residence in your life and working a change in you from the inside out? This isn't some second blessing that you look for that some might teach as far as, you know, well, I'm saved and I'm forgiven and, boy, maybe down the road I'll have a second blessing and receive the Holy Spirit. No, you have the Holy Spirit the moment you trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's not a second blessing reserved for the spiritual it's not something you have to pray for or ask for or beg for. It's not an ecstatic experience that you'll know you'll have it when, when you begin to, to display this ecstatic experience. You are the temple of God, and God indwells you if, in fact, you are in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That's what, that's what Paul's telling us here. Uh, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He fills you. And there's joy in your heart because He's there. So we're singing hymns. And if you're sitting there going, oh boy, here's another one. Got to work through this one again. Just go through the you know, lips. And your heart's far away from it. It's evidence that more than likely the Spirit of God who brings joy and love to the heart is not there. Or He's been quenched. He grants us gifts. He gives spiritual gifts to His church so that you might serve Him and do so with power. He seals us into the day of redemption. And He's our guarantee that we're truly saved. He communes with us in fellowship day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. He teaches us. He prays for us. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. We're going to see that later in Romans 8. He comforts us. In times of, of discouragement... He comes alongside, and He brings comfort. He exhorts. He encourages. He sanctifies. I mean, He's at work. He, he's alive in us. And He conforms us into the image of Christ. That's His sanctifying work. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, As we gaze on the glory of Christ, we are moved from one level of glory to the next by the Holy Spirit. And then He empowers you to witness and to speak up for Him, 
and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unsaved. And he's the one that does the saving when you bring the message of life. And then in verse 10 we see, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness. Now remember during our Sunday school class on biblical interpretation, you see words like but. And by the way, that's one of, that's one of Paul's favorite words, it seems like. He uses it a lot to show contrast. It should stop us when we see the word but and realize, okay, he's shifting gears. He's going to contrast something that he just said. And the if there, but if Christ is in you, should literally be translated since Christ is in you. But since Christ is in you, that's because you're a Christian. But since the Holy Spirit indwells you, your physical body is dead. But inwardly, the Holy Spirit who's in you is bringing inwardly life. Outwardly, the body is dead. It's dying. It's decaying. It's getting older. It only has a lifespan for so long. And then it's over with. That's it. It's dying. Inwardly, as a Christian, you're spiritually growing and maturing and becoming more like Christ. you got this contrast between the outside, the outer man and the inner man. And if you want an example of this, just look around this room. I think we have a good example of this various truth, this various important truth. There's young ones here today who are just starting off in life. And you're alive and you're strong and you're vital and you got energy coming out your ears. Praise the Lord. We were all there once, right? But do you realize even you were dying? You young ones were born from the day you breathed your first breath. You began to die. Oh, yes, you're getting older and stronger and all this, but actually you're dying and decaying. Now, those of, us who are, or those of you who are middle-aged, uh, who are slowing down a little bit, you, you realize, yeah, this, they, he better, they better listen to this because this is true. I mean, after all, uh, pretty soon you got turned 40 years old and you've got to put glasses on. And then the hair starts turning gray around, around the edges. And, and uh, pretty soon uh, you realize, I can't do what I used to do. I'm getting older. The outside's what? It's decaying. It's dying. And then us older folks, I mean, now, now we're to the, the canes. We're, we're to the walkers. We're limping around the room. Hair's receding. Can't see very well with the eyes. Say, what? I can't quite hear you. We don't have to be reminded too much that we are dying. And the outer man is dying. But, he says, you have the spirit of life in you because of righteousness. The inward spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is alive in you. And he's bringing life in you, even though your outer man is dying. Because you have the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the state of a believer. To every one of us today who's a believer in Christ. Inwardly, we have the Spirit of God and it's become, we're becoming more like Christ. We're more alive every day. Outwardly, we're falling apart. And we're dying every day. You got those two things, inward and outwardly, going on all the time. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul put it this way, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. There it is. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's who you are. That's the dilemma of the Christian life. And this is the picture of every true believer here today. 
It's a life that we have in Christ, the life that comes from the Spirit, uh, which comes to us from the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. And we, we'll, never, we'll never reach sinless perfection in this life. Even though He's there working, we're not going to say, oh, you turned 65 and you made it. You know, you're, you're now like Jesus. No, it doesn't happen that way. You're, we're all continuing to grow and become more like Christ until the day that He returns. And then you got that battle. you got the, the, the flesh and the spirit working and the war going on, and that's Christianity 101. Growing spiritually inwardly, dying outwardly. Until the day that we die. And then on the day that we die, that spirit who's alive departs from this body that's dead now and leaves. And it goes into the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and here's my question. Now, is that it? Is that it? Okay, we've, we were forgiven. We have the righteousness of Christ. We're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We die, and our soul goes to heaven. Is that it? And the answer is, Paul's going to say loudly is no. The best is yet to come. In fact, uh, there's a resurrection of your body that still hasn't happened yet. That's the final chapter. Verse 11, look at this. We'll spend the rest of our time here. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so he's saying if, or literally since, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does. So what is, what's, who does the Him refer to, that pronoun? Since the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus. That's a good question. Remember, every, every pronoun has a what? An antecedent, it points backwards, and we can find out the, the noun that it refers back to. So, if the Spirit, since the Spirit of Him... Who raised up Jesus? Who's the Him that raised up Jesus? You got to go way back. You got to go Romans. Okay, is it in nine, ten, eight, seven, six, one? You end up back in Romans chapter seven. And back in Romans chapter seven, you're going to see that. Uh, remember the question: Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be, Thanks be to Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the antecedent to sense the Spirit of Him, whom? Jesus Christ, who raised up who? Jesus Christ from the dead. He dwells in you. And so the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that raised up Jesus Christ, who is the Spirit of Jesus Christ? I believe the Spirit of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit who's working because of the work of Jesus Christ. We've got another pronoun in here. We've got to answer who is the who. Since the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who, who's the who that raised up Jesus from the dead? The Holy Spirit. Just hold, hold with me on this, especially you young ones. We're going to do a little bit of grammar here, but we've got to talk about it because the who is what? It's a personal pronoun. It's not an it, despite what's going on in our culture today. It's a personal pronoun, who. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a force. It's not a power. 
So if the Holy Spirit is in you, it's not like you've got a force in you. You've got the person of God within you, the third person of the Trinity. And uh, the third person of the Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so let me just kind of paraphrase the whole thing. If, since the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that is the Holy Spirit, who raised up Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, and he does... It's the Holy Spirit who raised up Jesus from the dead. Now, let me ask you this. If, if we took some time out this, this, this morning, it's, okay, let's just stop the sermon, open your Bibles, see if you can find any other place in the Bible where, does it say who raised up Jesus Christ from the dead? And you went to your concordance, and you started searching around and looking for the resurrection of Christ, and, and you find out, well, who is it that raised Jesus from the dead? Well, we would start right here, wouldn't we, in 1 Corinthians I mean, in Romans chapter 8, it says, well, clearly, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. That's what it says in verse 11. But did anyone else raise Jesus from the dead? And what you'd find is this. You'd find what we call a Trinitarian resurrection. Each person of the Holy Trinity was actively involved in raising up Jesus Christ from the dead. The Father raised up Jesus from the dead, Ephesians 1, verse 20. And he, the Father, worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead. Jesus raised himself up from the dead. Now, how do you do that? Only if you're God. Uh, John ten eighteen. No one takes it from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down, my life, of my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to what? Take it up again and raise it up again. So Christ raised himself from the dead. And then we see here in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Holy Spirit raised up Jesus from the dead. And so all three persons of the Trinity, the almighty power of God, a Trinitarian God, is raising up the Son in victory on that third day in the tomb. And I was thinking, you know, I'm going to ask you, because we're going to start now shifting gears. We've been looking carefully at Scripture and pronouns, but we're going to bring our sanctified imagination into this in just a minute. Because you almost have to, to really appreciate what, what, what all is taking place here. But uh, picture Christ in the grave. He's dead. Spear, you know, spikes, spikes, dead, three days. And then he's being raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit is raising him from the dead. Oh, you know, just to have a camera in there to be able to see that, you know, what would that look like? Did he just suddenly burst forth and he bounded out of the tomb? What, what happened? But if you're dead physically, you're dead. And so at some point his heart had to start thumping. The power of the Holy Spirit was what? Raising up the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the blood has to start circulating. And the breath came, and, and now he's breathing, and his eyes open up. And then he sits up, and he begins to move, and, and then, then he moves towards the door, and, and whether the, the door was miraculously opened and he just walked through, I don't know how all that happened, but he's alive, and he's raised from the dead. And watch this. Because you're united to Christ, we've been looking at our union with Christ, you too will be raised from the dead. Whatever happened to Christ will happen to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But it is true, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
He was the first one to be raised from the dead, and all those who are in the graves will follow him. That's us. We'll follow him. And so here's my question I want us to ponder a little bit this morning is, how will the Holy Spirit raise you from the dead? Down that day when you die and you're in the grave and your spirit's in the presence of, of, of God himself, your body's been left behind, it's deteriorating in the grave. Well, the answer is at the end of verse 11. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So now, okay, we've got to start thinking this through. What is the gospel? How does God save? Well, it begins with life. His Holy Spirit brings the new birth to us, and we're born again. And we begin to see and to understand who Christ is, and our faith is given to us, and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. Again, the Holy Spirit comes, and now He indwells us. And then we begin to our sanctification, that life of God in us, making us more and more like Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. The Holy Spirit is still at work. And what does he do? He, 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 so well, the, he begins to bring life to you, and as you die, that life goes on to be with, with Christ, separated from your body. But here's where our focus is. It doesn't stop there. The best is yet to come. God reverses all the effects of the, of, of the fall by his salvation. And the Holy Spirit who indwells you on that last day, when Christ shall return, will raise up your body alive, resurrect your body into a glorified body. Your spirit has been what? Separated from your body, right? Your body's being raised. And so at some point, your spirit and your life, your physical body, are going to be brought together again as one, as it was before the fall. That intermediate state that your soul's in is just that, an intermediate state. It's just waiting, waiting for the day that Christ will return, when the trumpet shall sound, and then the Spirit of God will raise up your physical body and gracing you with a glorified body. So between your death and between your resurrection, your spirit is with God. And then, of course, then when you come back and you're raised from the dead, then at that point your, your soul and your, your, your body will be put together again. You know, I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, in a way, that's kind of like the way funerals are in America. They become a good display or a good illustration of this truth. You've all been to the funeral of a Christian brother or sister or a beloved family member. And, you know, typically in America what we do is we, we gather together like we are this morning. And the, the family, the loved ones, the friends are all there. Usually a message is given talking about life and after the grave. And we sing songs and there's tears in our eyes. We're, we're sad. But we're also what? We have a sense of joy as believers because what we typically hear and understand to be taking place is, oh yeah, that casket that's open, there's a body in there. And that body is still here. But our hope isn't in the body still being here. Our hope is that person's spirit is where? In the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the intermediate state. 
But then the casket will close. It'll be taken out to a hearse. And we all get in our vehicles and get in line. And we go all the way out to the cemetery. And then we get to the cemetery and we look at line after line after line of gravestones. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was tempted at time to think, well, where's salvation, God? I mean, look, at there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gravestones and all these people are dead. And you talked about bringing life, eternal life. Where is it? Well, we don't want to be tempted too far down that path mentally, but uh, God, I thought you defeated death. And he says, ah, but don't you remember the intermediate state? The souls are in the presence of Christ right this minute. But there's coming a day. And I don't know when this day is, but Christ is going to return, the Bible tells us. There's going to be a blasting of trumpets. There's going to be the shout of an archangel. And all those who are in Christ, who are in the graves, row after row after row, every cemetery in the world is going to what? Come bursting forth alive. Resurrected life. And then their soul and their body will be put together. That's good news. And that's the good news of the final consummation of, of the great work of the gospel that God is doing in His people. Reunited with their spirit. We are being sanctified now. We're under construction now. But then the, we're going to see that's going to be the, the ribbon cutting on that day. And then we're now entering into the very presence of God. So now I told you to save your sanctified imagination toward the end here. Let's think for a minute what this resurrection body is going to be like. Okay? The day that you die, you're going to, your soul is going to be with, with Christ. Christ's going to return. Now your body's raised up new again. What's that body going to be like and how's it going to be different than the body you have today? Well, um, get ready. Because it's going to be glorious. It really is. I'm convinced, that's why I say take out your sanctified imagination. Words can't really adequately describe it. Uh, There's nothing you can do, you you can imagine it, but you don't want to go too far and make up something that's not going to be true. We look at the Bible and we see many glimpses of this glorified body in various passages throughout the New Testament, and even the Old Testament. And, And then it all comes together as a collage in our mind, and we're trying to See it and picture it and understand it. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, here it is, He'll transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to to subject all things to Himself. And so whatever it's going to be like, here, here, here's our first picture. When your body is raised from the dead, it's going to be somehow like the body of Jesus Christ. We're told that several times. You want to know what your resur- resurrected body will be like? Look to the resurrected body of Jesus and learn. The Holy Spirit will transform your body just like He transformed the life of the body of Jesus. What kind of resurrected body did Jesus have? Well, let's go back. And remember, after the resurrection, 
There were some that didn't at the time that weren't sure that was him, and they heard him speak. But basically, you look at the stories and you in the accounts of uh, after the resurrection. Remember, there were five hundred witnesses. It says in First Corinthians fifteen, they seemed to know who he was. Uh, we also realize that he was resurrected, but he had the, not only the appearance of being who he was before he died, but also he bears the wounds of his death. After the resurrection, he still had the wounds in the hands, and he still had the wounds in the feet, and the wounds in the side. And even then, when he walked on the earth, I don't believe his resurrected body was fully glorified even at that point. I believe when he ascended up into heaven, and then we began to see the, the full glory of Christ as, as he entered the very heavenly realm. And so perhaps that's true of us. You know, it was given to us as a picture in the transfiguration in Matthew 17 when he was transfigured before them. Remember, it says his, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And so the Scripture compares our glorified bodies also to the shining of the moon and the brightness of the stars. Very interesting verse back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Daniel writes this, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness They'll be like the stars forever and ever. And so there's kind of a similar picture there of, of, of shining and brightness that, that might be ours who are in Christ. You know, our confession describes it well. It says that at the last day, such of the saints as are found alive shall not sleep but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies. And none other, although with different qualities, see the same body but a different quality, which shall be united again to their souls forever. Now that's a statement out of, out of, our, out of our confession. Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15 in great detail. He says in verse 53, For the perishable body must put on imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. So there's a picture, another little picture we put on our collage. Our bodies in their present condition are referred to as perishing. They're corrupt. They're dishonorable. They're weak. They're dying. And one day they're going to be buried in the ground. Our bodies will be powerful. They will no longer be perishable. They'll no longer be subject to stress and fatigue and weakness. We'll be raised with immortality. Won't be seventy years or eighty or ninety years plus. It's forever. <clears throat> Wayne Grudem writes this description. He says, "Because the word glory is so frequently used in Scripture of the bright shining radiance that surrounds the presence of God Himself, this term suggests that there will also be a kind of brightness or radiance surrounding our body." that will be an appropriate outward evidence of the position of exaltation and rule over the creation that God has given us. This is also suggested, he adds, in Matthew thirteen forty three, where Jesus said, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Similarly, we read in Daniel's vision that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. 
and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So that's, that, that, that's a little sanctified imagination of, of Grudem. And uh, I was thinking, you know, there's some no's and there's some yeses to this resurrection body. I mean, the Bible just says there's, there's no sickness. There's the no's. No death. No pain. No sin. No tears. Those are the no's of this resurrected body. But there's also some, quite a few yeses. Yes, you're going to have full knowledge of all things. Yes, you'll have joy abounding in your heart and life forever. Yes, you'll sing in perfect pitch. Yes, things will be different. You'll think differently. Yes, you will. You'll feel differently. Yes, you will. It'll be on a, a whole different plane. You know, many of you, this is the sanctified imagination from the wheelchair of Johnny Erickson. Uh, she writes, Somewhere in my broken, paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am become all the more grand. When you, cannot, when you, can, when you contrast it with an atrophied, useless legs against splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced, she says, that if there are mirrors in heaven, and I believe there are, she says, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Johnny, although a much better, brighter Johnny. Um, You know, there's a lot of debates given as to what age you're going to be when you go to heaven. Do you ever think about that? Again, we use our sanctified imagination. We don't come to Scripture for this, but... So little kids, when they pass away, are they going to run around in heaven with new glorified bodies that are three or four years old? And they're going to be, that's what they're going to be forever and ever? Little babies that die. Whether someone going to hold them forever and ever in their arms? What about old people that uh, die when they're 90 years old? Are they going to be forever 90 years old but resurrected? You know, this has been common speculation amongst some of the the commentators. Going back to Thomas Aquinas, who gave you some philosophy, he says he believed that the Christ died at the age of 33. So if our resurrection is going to be like his, we'll all be 33 years old in heaven. Is anybody here 33? Any 33 year old? Come on, one 33 year old? Nah, come on. Maybe, I don't know. I, I, the 33. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what the age is going to be. But uh, it's, it's a wonderful thought to think we're going to be 33. Uh, what about little children? What's going to happen to them? Little babies. I mean, is it like Monopoly? They're going to skip adolescence and go all the way to uh, directly to 33 and not collect $200 or whatever it is. It's, uh, do you just go from infancy to 33? Randy Alcorn has a, has a great uh, book on, on, on heaven. It's pretty thick. You might, might enjoy reading it. It's, well, you know, there's, he, he, again, I'm giving you examples of sanctified imagination. He writes regarding the babies or the children. He says, maybe you will be able to be there with your children as he or she grows up in the new earth without threat of death, harm, or abuse. So the picture he gives, if you have a three-year-old that died, and then you died as a believer, you'll be caring for that three-year-old until 
he becomes 33, I guess. I don't know how that works because there's no age. So I don't know if that just goes on and on and on forever or what. Parenting forever. That's a little bit more imagination than sanctified, I think, as far as Randy Alcorn's concerned. Michael Horton, here's, here's his sanctified imagination. He writes, it tells us, this passage tells us the story of our glory and clarifies for us a new creation, a glorious resurrection. And this is how he, there's no kids here where he's, he's taken care of. Instead, he says, not an eternity of floating around on the clouds, but feasting with the richest meats and the finest wines, he says. That's, uh, that's Michael Horton's imagination. I believe one of the reasons why our bodies are falling apart as rapidly as they are in our old age is so that we will appreciate more and more and more what heaven has in store for us and what these resurrected bodies are going to be when God gloriously gives them to us. None of us in this room are fit right now to live in the mediated presence of Christ. Do you realize that? These bodies cannot live in the very presence. We need a new body if we're going to live in the very presence of God Himself. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you'll receive one. This life is, is just a foretaste. Something greater than you can imagine is still waiting to come. So this reminds us as we close this morning that our, our greatest gospel hope is not forgiveness, although it's a wonderful gift. It's not sanctification, although that's a wonderful gift. It's not even having our souls leave our bodies and going, going to be temporarily with Jesus Christ in heaven, although what a blessing that is. What this passage tells us is the best is yet to come. The resurrection of your body at the return of Christ, the soul and your body being joined back together for eternal joy and eternal delight forever in, in the new heavens and the new earth. And you ask yourself, well, how can I be sure that that's of me? I mean, one day you're going to die, and one day your spirit will leave your body. And will you be among those who are raised up unto glory and raised up unto eternal life? Or will you be raised up to those who are there for eternal destruction? What assurance do you have today that you will be raised from the dead? and stare right in the face of Jesus Christ on that final day. And here's the answer, verse 11. The assurance is the Spirit of God indwells you. He's your guarantee. If He's there, you're going to be there. If He's here, you're going to be with Him forever. And if not, it shows that you're not yet at a point where you've come to faith in Christ. He will, He promises, to take these dead, decayed bodies and make them alive. And the best is yet to come. And if you're here without Christ, I would point you to the Savior. I'd point you to Jesus Christ today. The Bible's clear if you'll confess your sins, repent of your wicked ways. If you look in the face of Christ and realize He, the second person of the Trinity, is the one who laid down His life sacrificially. He took the wrath of the Father on behalf of, of all of His. And those who repent and believe will have what? Everlasting life. May that be true of all of us today as we close in prayer. Father, thank You again for Your Word. 
Lord, I, I pray it would stir the hearts of those without Christ to flee to Jesus, Savior and Lord. For those of us, Lord, who are in Christ, we see evidence of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Oh, Lord, we see His fruit and we see His teaching us and enlivening us, Lord, and giving us delight and joy in You. Lord, may we take encouragement to know that the best is yet to come. And that day is coming when we too will hear from the grave. We will hear that trumpet. We will hear the shouts of the victory of the archangel. And we too will be united forever to be with you in new bodies, retrofitted for eternity and holiness. For that we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.